Surely the Lord is coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, you sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Grant that the ministers and stewards of your mysteries may likewise make ready your way by turning the hearts of the disobedient towards the wisdom of the just, that at your second coming to judge the world, we may be found a people acceptable in your sight. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the gospel or the, for the psalm. We're going to read this responsibly, so you're going to um, respond in the second or the, uh, the even uh, verses. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes. In a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, 
world without end. Amen. You may be seated. A reading from the book of James. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word to his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk and lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women... There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent will take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. 
be seated. You know, preaching during Advent always is just a little bit more stressful because there's so much more fire right next to you. <laughs> and it's like, I'm way over here, but I'm still a little worried about that. There. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, Sundays. Thank you for Sundays and Advent and the season we have. And um, the reminders that Jesus does come. And I ask that you um, proclaim to us, remind us of, of your grace and goodness and love and all these amazing things as we consider your word today and help us, Lord. In your name, amen. <clears throat> so I went to college to be a youth pastor, but by the time I was done with my schooling, I had all sorts of reasons why I knew I was not going to be a youth pastor. I didn't really have a plan yet for what I was going to do, but I went to seminary to get started. I thought maybe I'd get a master's or two and pursue a PhD in the long run. It was not a good plan, especially considering it still pains me to think about writing a dissertation. To those of you who have done so, and we have some here, well done, you are stronger and more acquainted with suffering than I am. So I completed my first degree in seminary, but then I knew I wasn't going to go forward, that wasn't for me, and then I found myself really stuck. Uh, and it was just the simple question of, what do I do? You know, I was pretty sure I didn't want to work in the back room of a Target store forever. I didn't know much else than that. Um, and that question became bigger, as I couldn't f easily answer, what do I do? Um, I, I started wondering, why? Why does this feel so hard to figure out? There has to be something that makes sense for me in this. I'm really glad for my wife during this time. She processed with me quite a bit, heard all my questions again and again. She was very patient. Um, and I was asking these questions then to God as well. And they kept growing. It wasn't just, what should I do? But then it became, well, God, why did you make me like this? Um, I don't fit anywhere is the way I felt. And so I started, why did you, why did you do this to me? Why, did you, why do I feel this way? Why does it feel so hard? Why does everything feel, I feel weird about all these good opportunities I have in front of me? Why don't things make sense? It's just boiled down to really that, God, why? What are you doing? And I felt so much frustration and confusion and there were others that were trying to ask and check in, you know, about things. They didn't, unfortunately, usually talk to me directly, but they talked to Liz, and they're just asking, well, what's Pete going to do? And it was well-meaning. They were trying to check in. They cared about me. It doesn't help to talk to Liz and not me in those moments. But those questions made me even more upset, though, what is Pete going to do? Because the simple thing was, I have no idea. And it made me more angry that, about those things. And just overall, I felt so pointless in, in, in all that. And it was about a year after all this started for me, um, God actually answered all of my questions much more directly than I had expected. I just woke up one morning kind of knowing, uh, I kind of feel like it was sort of like a stop being an idiot and then <laughs> move on. And it was just, I knew excitement and purpose. And I knew I was supposed to start being a youth pastor in that way. It was like a light had been switched on and, and my questions and my frustrations were answered there. But that's hardly the only time that I've struggled with God in my life or that I've been left with those burning questions that I can't answer right away. It's not the only time I felt so frustrated with myself or frustrated with God or circumstances. It's an easy one to share this morning because it's pretty far away now, and it had a happy ending. At least it had a happy ending for me. I mean, Christian is now stuck with me in my sarcasm. That's between him and God, though, so I'll leave that there. But I know that Really, all of us, at some point anyway, will be struggling with these questions we have. And they're often much harder and much deeper than the ones I just described. We'll doubt ourselves, our actions, our purpose, and we'll doubt God and his actions and his purposes. There will always be times when things don't line up with the way that we think they should be or when we just hurt too much. 
when we can't just ignore things and move on, we wonder and we struggle and we fight. The season of Advent really is the best season for all of this. This is that season when we remember that we need Jesus present with us, but then we recognize, but he's not fully here. So it's a season of waiting and longing for his return, but that means also a season where we do ask, why aren't you back yet? Why is so much still hard and wrong? Why do we keep waiting? Year after year, why do we keep saying, come, Lord Jesus? Our gospel passage today, it's built around one of these types of questions. It doesn't specifically answer all of our own questions here, but it does center us again around the one that we need to be asking these questions to. And I found that that can help grow in us faith and hope, and we need that to keep holding on and keep waiting, even if we don't find the answers we're looking for. So we find these questions right away in our Matthew passage. John sends a few disciples to find Jesus and ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? More simply than that, the question is just, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you actually the Lord in Christ? And in many ways, at this point, this is a really common question. It's really half the point of the Gospels themselves, but it's what people are asking all around Jesus. They're wondering this. Few will ask it directly, but it's on everyone's minds. It's always present. It's always bubbling, but below the surface. Is Jesus really Messiah? But this question in this passage, at this very moment, this isn't quite so common. It shouldn't seem so common to us, and it's because of who's asking. It's John the Baptist here wondering, and that makes this question so much more important and so much more complicated than we might just realize first on our quick read-through. So it's good to take for a moment, a few moments, just let's remember who John the Baptist is as we get into this. Last week, we saw his introduction in the Gospel of Matthew. It was in um, Matthew 3, Christian preached on. But I want to fill in his story a little bit using Matthew and even the Gospels of Luke and John as well. So the Gospel of Luke, when it starts, it doesn't start with Jesus first. It starts with John. And we find out that John was uh, a son given to an elderly couple who had so longed for a child. And right from birth, John was going to be set apart Um, for God's special work. John was called to go before the Lord and proclaim his coming. Even in his mother's womb, we're told he is so filled with the Holy Spirit that when pregnant Mary, Mary pregnant with Jesus, enters the room, he leaps with joy and understanding in that. And then John grew into being a very powerful prophet, and he ministered to the people of Israel um, from the wilderness, and people would flock to hear his message, even though we saw this last week. It wasn't an easy message. It was quite hard. John called the people to repent. He said God was working, Messiah was coming, and they were not guaranteed a place at the table in God's kingdom if they wouldn't repent and turn to him. And then John was also the first one who got to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah. In Matthew's gospel, when Jesus came to be baptized, John resisted at first, saying, I should be baptized by you. And John's gospel, it's actually after the baptism, we find John is able to point at Jesus and tell his followers and those who are listening, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John stands at the end of the line of all the law and the prophets. Those who are pointing toward, forward to God's plan, they told the people to wait because God would come. And John said that God was at work. Messiah was coming. And uniquely, John was the one who got to say, and he's actually right over there. But in our reading today, it's been months, maybe a year or more, since John recognized Jesus in his baptism. 
Jesus had gone on and he'd ministered, especially in Galilee at this point, but elsewhere. And John has been thrown into prison by Herod Antipas because John, he was acting as a prophet should. He called out Herod's evil behavior, especially among his family. Herod had recently taken his niece as his wife. And actually, we're told by the Jewish historian Josephus that John was imprisoned in a fortress called Machaerus. It's about 30 miles southeast of Jerusalem. It's surrounded by wilderness. So John, at this point, is far from everything and everyone except those few disciples who've been allowed to be near him. He can't see for himself what is going on. He relies only on what news can make its way to him. And he's, of course, feeling isolated, lonely, confused, wondering constantly, what's next for me? What will come? And even more, John's whole life, again, it had one overriding purpose, which was to point to and proclaim the Messiah. So how much was John longing to know him and be with him, but he's kept from him? And it's from that place of great pain and confusion that John starts to wonder, why is this happening? How can this be? I proclaimed that the Messiah was here, so why is everything so bad? If God is working, why am I here? And even as he begins to ask that question, is Jesus really the one, he has to ask other questions. Was I wrong? I said Jesus was the Lamb of God. I said he was Messiah. But if he's not, have I failed? Have I missed or wasted my calling? Have I misunderstood this God I've been trying to serve? And we don't know then how long it took, but after weeks or months, John sends his disciples. He had to know, is Jesus really the one? And then John waited and waited for weeks or perhaps months while his disciples had to go and travel and find Jesus and then return with any answer from him. That's the weight of John's question here. It comes from deep vulnerability, real issues, grief and pain. It's a question that gets to the very core of all that John is and all that he's done. Before going on, um, this week I've just... I've been so glad that John asked this question. It's not easy to ask these things to really struggle. It's a lot easier just to try to put them aside and pretend everything's fine. But that would have left John with nothing but waiting, and it would be waiting without hope, without answers. And even more here, as John is asking, he goes to the source. It's easier to make someone else answer. John could have just nailed down his disciples and said, tell me if this is the Messiah, Is this the real deal? But John doesn't do that. He sends them out to find Jesus, to ask him directly, because only Jesus can really answer. It's vulnerable and scary. What will Jesus say? What will he do here? In our own questions, in our own struggles, yes, we talk to other people. We bring them in and we ask for help, but we have to turn to Jesus as well. He's either the answer or he isn't. We can't know that by ignoring him. And then as John's question finally reaches Jesus' ears, what does Jesus do? I remember um, in college, one of my favorite um, professors, he was especially teaching us how to read the Bible, how to study it well. And one of his, his favorite questions to ask of the scriptures at times is, well, what else could this person have said? What else could this person have done? So as John's disciples ask Jesus, are you really the one we've been waiting for? What could Jesus have said here? He wouldn't have said no. We can say that right off the bat. Jesus wasn't going to lie about things. But what if he'd responded to John's question with something like, obviously? Or much worse, what if he said, how dare you ask? 
or come on, John, you doubting me now? He could have ignored the question. Or frankly, he could have just said, yeah, and moved on without further comment. Thankfully, though, Jesus answers with so much more care and wisdom than that. And as we start considering his answers, we need to see something so important about Jesus that comes through in everything he says here, and that is his deep compassion. We could say that of all people, John the Baptist shouldn't be doubting Jesus, but Jesus isn't upset with John. He's not frustrated by his doubting. He's kind and caring. He answers John's questions without the slightest hint of judgment. Jesus understands this is hard, and he so carefully and wonderfully reassures him here. So Jesus' answer to to John's disciples here, it begins very simply, just tell John what you see and hear. Now that itself is a lot to consider. They've seen and heard a lot, obviously. Jesus has done an awful lot. But Jesus doesn't just stop there, which is good. We already know John had heard about the deeds of Jesus, but those had left him with questions still. So Jesus says, notice what I do, and then he continues on and he puts it all in words. He says, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, good news is preached to the poor. Now all of these aren't just amazing things happening in the moment, they reach back deeply into the prophecies that the people had and held on to, the prophecies that John knows. Our bulletin today includes one of these in our Isaiah reading especially, but there's so many others. These prophecies include word that healing will come, the good news will be shared, but this is in the context of God's final redemptive work for when he comes, when he sends his Messiah. These prophecies are what faithful Israel has been waiting to see happen when God would set the world right. So Jesus, by pointing to what he's doing and then by pointing it out in accordance with the scriptures, is not simply telling John, yes, I am the Messiah. He's showing John that. And even more, as John's disciples report this to him, his mind could be flooded again with these scriptures and these promises that he's certainly known and held on to. He can know afresh that they are coming to fruition right now in Jesus. It's a gift of a response that would stir John's heart and his mind so much more than simply a yes would have. If Jesus had just said yes, John could still deny the answer. Instead, at this point, Jesus links all of his actions to the scriptures that John loves. So John knows so much more deeply how truly Jesus is the one to come. And then Jesus adds, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. This is directly for John in this moment. And it's a challenge, but again, it's not a reproach. Again, at this point, Jesus could have said, so get with it, John. Stop doubting, get over it, move on. He doesn't say those things. Instead, he says, blessed are you if you're not offended by me. He means something like, I know that things don't make sense that I don't fully make sense to you. I know this isn't how you imagined things, but hold on. This is a call, um, don't let go just because it's different. You will be blessed if you hold on. And we see in this from Jesus to John, a real call to faith. It's a call for John to surrender some of what he had expected that might have been wrong or just confused. It's a call to recognize in Jesus the core of all of those promises, of all that is good and right that John's really been waiting for. Jesus is it, even if John himself wasn't quite sure all that that meant. So hold on, John. You're blessed if you hold on, even if it doesn't make sense. 
Consider then how Jesus speaks to us with our questions and our doubts. He doesn't respond to us differently than he did with John. He doesn't turn to us in anger. We can expect this same love and care, this same compassion, because this is truly who Jesus is. This is the kind of Messiah he is. He understands. He's patient and kind. He's good. We can go to Jesus with all of our pains, uncertainties, questions, and expect to receive back his love and his care. As we go back to the story then, we see Jesus has given his direct answer to John's question. And now he turns to the crowds. But I don't think he's actually fully done answering John yet. He's not quite done ministering to John. The story says here that Jesus begins speaking to the crowds as John's disciples are leaving. It's a little vague, but it's very different from saying after they had left. It seems to be saying really that Jesus answered their questions directly and they turn thinking he's done and kind of start moving away. And as as it happens, Jesus starts speaking to everyone. I think they're still around to hear all that Jesus says next. He raises his voices to address the crowds and he tells them about John the Baptist. Now notice, it seemed like the disciples of John came to Jesus and they had a private conversation. So when Jesus turns to the crowds to bring up John the Baptist, for the crowds, that was probably a little jarring, a little confusing, where'd this come from? Um, But for John's disciples, as they're leaving, they can hear this and they can take note of everything that Jesus says. And what Jesus says, it's about John and John's calling. He tells the people that, of course, John was a prophet. Even more, John was the messenger they'd been waiting for. He was even the Elijah who was to come. The people, or at least many of the people, were expecting that before um, God finally acted, before Messiah came, there would be one who would come first, a messenger who would prepare the way. Even um, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So many were actually specifically expecting to see Elijah again. And here Jesus Jesus says of John, he's the Elijah to come. Now this is very important. It does say a lot about Jesus, which we'll get to. But it also speaks directly to what certainly was part of John's doubts and struggles. As John wondered about who Jesus was, he had to wonder about who he himself was. And Jesus first reassured John that he, Jesus, was in fact the coming Lord. But now he moves on and reassures that John really is the messenger. John really had been the one to go before the Lord. John was who he thought he was. He answered and fulfilled his calling. I love this. And I think it matters so much more that Jesus proclaims it to the crowds. It's not like he's just saying it quietly, where it could have been just a nice thing to say to cheer somebody up. Instead, he proclaims it to all the people. He has to mean this. What would it mean for John when his disciples come back and they told him first what Jesus said in private and then they add everything that he proclaimed about John publicly? I think this is a deeply caring, encouraging, and really beautiful moment. And even more, Jesus can go on and he can say that there are none born of women who are greater than John. Now, as he says that, you know, we're not meant to start debating that or like set up a brackets. Does John beat Moses in the greatest, greatest born of women contest? Simply again, Jesus just means John is vastly important. Really, everything Jesus is saying about John here, his whole point is that John stands at the end of the law and the prophets. Not that those things are no longer useful now that Jesus has come, but that John fulfills most directly their shared purpose, which was to point to the Messiah, the Lord. 
John is above all as he gets to live out that unique purpose and vocation and point to Jesus. We also do need to see at this point that everything Jesus says here about John says a lot about Jesus too. John is the messenger. He was sent to prepare the way. He is the Elijah to come, which means Jesus is the one who comes after the messenger. Jesus is, was the one that Elijah was preparing the way for. All of this means again that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises, of all the prophecies uh, about when God would come, when God would act. And Jesus is doing something huge, revolutionary, because John is the greatest ever born of women, but Jesus is bringing in the kingdom of God. And in God's kingdom, even the smallest are greater still than John. The point here isn't to dismiss or dumb down John. The point is to build up Christ. What he does, what he brings, is so much greater than all who come before. He does what they only glimpsed, what they could only point to. And also we see, as Jesus is bringing the kingdom, we see reaction from the powers that be. The kingdom comes, Jesus says, but it's suffering violence Jesus is doing something new and amazing, and others won't stand for it. Perhaps, in part, this is an explanation for why John is in prison. Of course he is. The kingdom of God is coming, and the powers of darkness will fight it with everything they can. But I wonder if we should hear in Jesus' words here a hint of the greater violence still to come. John languishes in prison. He's wondering if Jesus could really be the Christ. And as he suffers and he wonders... He has no idea that the final victory that he awaits starts with Jesus' own suffering and death. The long-awaited one is here. The Messiah has come, and he must die a miserable death on a cross in order to fully inaugurate the promised kingdom. John doesn't know that so much of the pains and the struggles he knows will yet be known by Jesus, and so many more. We do know something, though, of what Jesus went through for us. And in our pains and in our struggles, We know Jesus, too, knew great physical pains and even more emotional, mental, spiritual anguish. Even our questions. As Jesus struggled in Gethsemane, anxiety and fear overtook him, and he pleaded with the Father. And as he died on the cross, Jesus even cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Though he actually fully knew the answer. And we come to the very last few verses here, 16 to 18, and we find Jesus' final words Um, And it's a fitting challenge for this crowd, but kind of a wrap-up for us as well. Jesus says the crowd treats both John and himself like children who are upset with their friends. You aren't playing the way we want you to, they cry out. They're frustrated and annoyed. annoyed. It's not fun this way. This isn't what we want. Now, those in the crowd who are like this, they know their own questions, their own problem, but they aren't actually looking for Jesus for them. They aren't looking to Jesus for these things. They aren't interested and what he really is, or what he's really doing. They have their own ideas, and they can't see past them to the greater truth and power of Christ. Really, these people are those who are offended by Jesus. They say, be what we want, Jesus. Don't be who you are. So as we know griefs and pains, struggles, questions, deep longings, will Jesus offend us? When we look to him, he won't always answer how we'd like He won't always act in ways we understand, but who else can we turn to? Jesus is the long-awaited one. He's the promised Messiah. Jesus is full of compassion, care, love, grace, and truth. He knows us. He knows our pains. So may we turn to him. 
um, and always find, even be surprised by his amazing blessing. Let's pray. Jesus, I am thankful for your deep grace and compassion, um, for your faithful, faithfulness to us, to John, even when he struggles, to us as we struggle. Um, I ask that you call us always to yourself. Give us help to turn no matter what. Um, give us patience to wait for your answers and for your coming. And please, Lord, come quickly. Amen. invite you to stand. We respond to God's word by affirming our faith.